Welcome to Slash Server Life, the podcast where we explore the unseen world of people in the service industry. I'm your host, Dee, and on today's episode, we'll be speaking with Carolyn. She's someone I met years ago while I was working at the Wild Cow. And on the morning of our interview, she showed up with her pink hair and a cat named Death. So tell me about Death. <laughs> so he's actually the last uh, living cat in his litter. Mm. Um, his My buddy found him and his seven brothers and sisters inside the room. They're all black cats. And long story short, they had been... Um, Poisoned and food poisoned, and they were oh all God. super sick. And uh, I told, and you know, he was having a hard time just keeping up a lot of sick cats, and like four died almost immediately. And um, I told my friend, I was like, I'll take one. And he goes, Oh, yeah, are you sure? Like, you know, you might be kind of taking on, you know, some. Uh, a, a cat that needs a lot of health issues or, like, might not live very long, you know? He's yeah. like, just be ready. And I was like, well, I've always wanted a cat named Death anyway, so I guess it fits. And he's a very healthy, very big cat, and he's the last one of his litter. As you may be able to tell from her choice of pet names, Carolyn is someone unique. She's lived a lot of life in her years. She's worked everywhere from a Harley bar to a pizzeria to fine dining and many places in between. This interview caught Carolyn in a time of flux. Her life is about to launch into a brand new chapter, and it all started with the flood. Well, tell me about the flood. So, yeah, the flood, um, like I said, reset button happens every few years in my life. I love it. With growth comes change. It's a very necessary element. And it hurts in a way that <clears throat> I feel like you don't normally experience. Like, it's one thing to move and, like, lose contact with some people. And you might not have expected that. But it's a different thing to have no, like, common ground to stand on. Like, there's nothing that's comforting in the way of, like, solidarity. So it's all, (laughs) it is all within you and very independent. You have to, like, stay sane and sober. (laughs) And, you know, and so, like I said, I've, I've been feeling the energies of the reset button in the air. I was like, it's here dust is getting moved you know and like it like it's, it's almost like a level of claustrophobia I can start to feel or I'm just like I start to feel very like removed and kind of third party to my life and that morning the morning of the flood I wrote the reset button is here wow and then my house flooded and so that <laughs> that night while we were at the bar, like, after we'd gotten the cats out and, like, laptops or whatever, I told my roommates, I was like, no matter how good or bad the situation is, no matter how much water gets in our house, because it was imminent, um, don't include me in moving plans. I don't know what else I'm going to do, but just don't. And, yeah, the very next day, um, 
got a call from my sister saying that she wanted to go to Spain. So that kind of catalyst. I'm someone that like, I'll make, I'll make traveling happen. Let's go. So now there's four of us going to Europe. Um, I'm, I'll, I'm trying to stay there longer than there because I've got friends in several countries out there. So go backpacking Europe for a while and then as soon as I get back from Europe, I'm not even coming back here. We fly into Atlanta and I'm going straight to New Orleans after that. While I understand the appeal of packing up everything and moving somewhere new, especially to a place like New Orleans, I'm a national native through and through. And I find that typically there's something interesting that draws people to the city. And Carolyn's story is no exception. How did you end up in Nashville in the first place? Well, so I'm from East Tennessee. And then to... I mean, literally to avoid a life of, life of drug addiction. Because <laughs> I was already pretty far deep into some pretty bad decisions by the time that um, I graduated high school. I opted to move to Cookville, Tennessee to go to tech. And I was a civil engineering major anyway. You know, yeah, moved to Cookville. I won't say I got sober, but I stopped buying cocaine every day. You know, I mean, when you're 17, it's just kind of like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. But I was a computer-aided drafter, so I was making hella money, so it didn't matter. What drafter was computer aided drafter? So I was working on electrical schematics and uh, maintenance schematics for um, dams and bridges. At seventeen, mm-hmm. how did you get into that? Just taking CAD in school, and my professor, Doctor Worthington, he just saw something in me and had the right avenues for this certain agency that I that will remain nameless for this and like um yeah he I did CAD for one year and then the next year was my senior year he had gotten me a job so I only went to school 8 a.m. to 10 30 a.m. and then I would go and stop by my friend's house give him money for liquor and he would have to go buy my cigarettes for me <laughs> right and then I would drive out to my office, do CAD for a few hours, and then go to my buddy's house and get fucked up mm. until I had to take Olivia to school the next day. Wow. Yeah. And so then when I graduated college, I was like, well, I can't live in Cookville anymore. So I was like, well, let's go to Nashville. Made sense. How long have you been in the service industry? (laughs) Um, Yeah, 15 years. My mom, she she had been a server, front of house manager, GM, whatever. And so all of us, when we turned 15, no matter what, you had to get a service industry job. You had to stay in it, but you had to get one. And she was like, there's, I will not have children that disrespect people in the service industry um, and it turns out that I like the adrenaline and the game of chess that comes along with it and I love to cook and so what do you mean by the game of chess everything in a kitchen 
or in a restaurant, you know, it's like when you walk into a restaurant first thing in the morning, it's the same chessboard every time. It's a very static thing. But then you add your employees and what that, you know, your pawns all the way up to your kings and queens. And I don't mean that necessarily in like a managerial way. I mean, who comes in with the most energy? Who's there to just get by? You know, and then and then you bring in the customers. And that's a whole another level of like pawns through kings and queens. Like, who going to be extra today? <laughs> who going to be extra? And then who's going to walk in and we have their order memorized? And they sit down, and we have a great conversation about their grandkids, and then they leave. And it's a really fun game of chess. Mm. What was your first job in the industry? <laughs> Big Ed's Pizza. <laughs> so Big Ed's Pizza is kind of this um, legend in its own right. It still is. It's just a, just a damn pizza place, but it's like the quintessential small-town pizza parlor, checkerboard, tablecloths, you know, the old, like, just impossibly dirty, creaky wooden floors, memorabilia, you know, since the beginning of the 19th century, just splayed across the walls, very deep, dark tones, and like, not, I mean, dingy, but only until it turns nighttime. You know, and then it kind of all settles into what it really is, which, I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was a miserable job. They really enjoyed hazing people, but it was also the most fun job that, and, like, the best way to start off in the service industry. I mean, you get thrown in dumpsters, and you get, like, put in dirty dishwater, you get, um... Thing called a red belly, where they would lay you down on a table and pull your shirt up and everyone smack your belly. Um, somebody put raw sausage in my ear once. Oh my god! Oh, that was a bad day. I almost quit. I was like, "That's not. You can't do that." Like, <laughs> and I've been a vegetarian more or less my entire life, so really didn't fuck with sausage. <laughs> Confession time. I have somewhat of a fascination with restaurant horror stories. The wilder, the better. And Carolyn's tales of hazing only whet my appetite. So I asked her to share some more of her stories. Unfortunately, she obliged. Actually, one of my favorites is one I almost got fired over. (laughs) What happened? I kid you not, I was, we were in the middle of like a super busy Friday night and I was working the line, like working back in the kitchen and I had to go to the bathroom. And so like, I, you know, guys, I got to go be back in a minute, ran through the corridor and to get to the bathroom, you know, I had to go out this corridor into another hallway and that's where like the customers would enter the bathroom hallway. So I come out and I see this mom and this like six-year-old boy. And I see them, you know, I whatever, I have to pee. And I'm at work. So I'm just kind of like, okay. And then jet into the bathroom. 
Okay, I vividly remember both bathrooms being open because I, I don't care which one I pee in. So in my mind, I thought it made more sense to go into the boys' bathroom so that mom could go in the girls' bathroom and just bring baby boy with her. Because isn't that what you do as a mom? I don't know. So that was my logic. So I go to the bathroom. I get out of the bathroom. And you can, oh my God, this woman and her child are just standing there. And this woman has this look like I was the most disrespectful thoughtless person she had ever seen and I like and I didn't get it because in my head I had I had been very much thoughtful so I was just like oh okay like now I'm uncomfortable and so go upstairs go back to work and she was picking up to go pizza so they call for her name I go out and it just so happens to be her and I hand her a pizza, and I just say, have a good night. Like, I don't really know what happened, and I don't care to find out while well, she complains to my boss. And in her version of her very angry, victimized reality, because, like, how do you... Whatever, people are crazy. I had almost knocked her and her son over coming out of the door to beat them to purposely use the boys bathroom so that her son couldn't use the restroom and then made sure that I was the one who brought her pizza out so that I could insult her by handing her her pizza and telling her to have a good day and my boss came up to me and he was and like and he t- tells me the story and he was just like I don't know. And I was like, do you really think that that's what happened? He goes, no, I, I'm just kind of dumbfounded and thought you should know. And, but turns out she knew the owner. The owner is a total asshole. Actually, that same owner, they were cleaning their guns one day and one of their rifles went off and was within a foot and a half of shooting me in the head. That was an interesting day. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Yeah, it went through like two walls and like I was on the ground. I got up and I was like, that's way too close for comfort. Have you had any other like just ridiculous situation at a job or at a service industry job? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to work at this one. <laughs> I used to work at this one place. Oh, man. Um, without pinpointing too much what it is, uh, it was a resort restaurant, right? So, everyone was making really good money. And we all more or less lived on the grounds. Um, and we all did a lot of drugs. <laughs> there, oh man. Every restaurant has at least a couple people who are like perpetually fucked up at work. Um, but this in particular job... In every, like, low boy in every refrigerator, you had a bottle of tequila, vodka, and whiskey. So no matter what your poison was, you know, just pour yourself a drink or a shot, whatever. Um, in the walk-in freezer, so you had to walk through the fridge to get into the freezer. In the walk-in freezer, let's just put it this way. There were 
four different color plates for four different things so that we, you know, the yellow plate equaled this, the brown plate equaled this, the blue plate equaled this. And it was the same every day because every day there were four options. Your uppers, your downers, whatever. Your painkillers. Um, and they were just there. And everyone, and everyone was making so much money that as long as this week you brought in this and next week you brought in this, no one really cared. It was just kind of a free-for-all. But you, until you look back on it, like, <laughs> I mean, A, it's just like, how did that place even function? B, how did we function? Yeah, because like I said, we would all go sleep in this trailer basically on top of one another and then get up at 6 in the morning to get to walk down the hill to get back to work by 7 and like the the adults which are also the people doing the most of whatever we all worked Thursday night Friday double which is a 14-hour shift, Saturday double, 14-hour shift, Sunday triple, which is an 18-hour shift. But, no, I was walking away with, I mean, if I got less than $500 in a weekend, I was pissed. Like, who's messing with my money? <laughs> Who didn't do their job? So, just a bunch of young people, too much money, and very isolated Right yeah, there. that restaurant was insane. Biggest pet peeves. Oh, yeah, people who don't treat you like a real person. If I walk, and like that's why I can't work for corporate because I will treat you the way you treat me. And if you're an asshole to me, I will be an asshole to you. And I do not feel bad. Um, like not too long ago, I had somebody come in and you know, you walk up to the table hi, how you doing, whatever, and especially if they cut you off and they just start ordering. The last time that happened, like I said, they literally cut me off before I even finished that first sentence, started ordering, and I just kind of, you know, was taken aback, and I'm just sitting there looking at them, and the wife goes, oh, I'm so sorry, we're just really hungry. And I go, oh, I'm so sorry, but part of my job is getting to know my customers and asking how your day is. So I'm going to assume that your day is going well. Uh, thank you for asking. My day is also going well. Let me grab you some water first. What did they say? I mean, nothing. What are they going to say? Like, I mean, go ahead and complain, I guess. I'd like, especially when there are certain managers that will remain nameless. It's like, no. Go complain to them. I dare you. Because they agree with me. Well, what do you think people should know? Like, when they're coming into a restaurant, is there something that, like, certain sort of expectations you have for them or certain things they should do? Um, I mean, <laughs> if I could really tell anyone or, like, everyone something, is when you walk into a restaurant, especially for the first time, Shut up for a second. Walk in. Look around. When you are sat, read the menu. Read the whole thing. 
that's what it's there for. You know, every menu is very informative. It's, and then by the time that you get to the end of the menu, if you can't tell what you should be doing as a customer, then that's on the restaurant's fault. Um, but really, in general, you know that um, those little signs that say drive like your kids live here? Yeah, walk into a restaurant like people are eating at your house. You know, but I mean, it works the same way. If Like, I've had rude servers before, and I've told them, you know, like the worst tip I ever gave someone was 2%, and it broke my heart. I've never done that before, but I also wrote her a note. I was just like, look, I work in the service industry. You hate your job, and you want everyone to be miserable with you, and I don't appreciate that. Get a new job for tips like these like I'm normally a 50% tipper tips like these only happen from people like me because you are rude disrespectful and you want everyone to be as unhappy as you are I'd like to start a tradition with this podcast each time I have a guest I want to ask them what makes you interesting and what I mean by this is why should you the consumer, take a moment to engage with a person who brings, prepares, and cleans up after your meal. Most things, especially people, are interesting when you examine them up close. Everyone is different in their own right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not interesting to some people. If nothing else, I'm just fucking weird and like extra for no reason. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm interesting the same reasons why I find my friends interesting. Just trying to be open-minded and not, um, you know, not be judgmental and not bring people down. And realizing that, like, option is the spice of life, but the only way you get option is if you say yes. You have to keep saying So I guess I'm interesting because I'm a yes person. Okay. Like, what's the strangest thing you've said yes to? Oh. Say on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I've been blessed to do a lot of things in life, Dee. I mean, you know, like, I've been been five miles underground because I said yes to my friend hanging carabingers and climbing gear to me and going spelunking. I... You know, I've sat in an alleyway in Chicago and told my deepest secrets to a homeless man because I said yes to giving him food and he had nice eyes, you know. What about creative pursuits? Do you have any? Uh, Everything. It's hard, actually. I'm super... That's that's a really good question for this time in my life, actually. I, um... I'm a super duper pragmatic person, right? Wait, and I actually said this very specific sentence at work the other day. I can think outside of the box if you give me the box first. Give me the box and I can stretch it, break it, repair it, manipulate it, whatever. But I can't create the box. You know, I always used to make the joke, if you want to see me have a meltdown, put me in front of a Google search bar with no direction. I will literally just sit there like, 
what am I interested in though? And but then you have like my baby sister Olivia, who's nothing but a waterfall of creativity, and so she's kind of been an inspiration. Like there is this whole other side of you that I practice through like food and like communication is an art form that I take great pride in. I have practiced it for years. And it's something that I hold very dear to me. That, and I think it's gotten me really far in life. Well, let's talk about what do you want to, uh, what are you doing now? Well, so besides the wild cow, um, you know, I mean, now Passion Root is dismantled. But owning your own business in the service industry is its whole own thing. Like, there's... Like, Allison and I's food was so specialized, and we weren't in it to just make as much money as we could. Can you explain what Passion Root is? So, Passion Root um, was mine and Allison Osborne's vegan and gluten-free catering uh, business, and we also offered... Um, like wholesale items and we worked at well so and this is where owning your own business is a positive it's like basically we can decide who we serve in the sense of we're not going to take a rich pretentious white lady's wedding downtown because we don't want to be surrounded by that but we will take the little brand new uh, tape recording studios opening night where we're surrounded by artists of so many mediums and like just cool, real people. And so that was where owning your own business is really nice in that realm is like, oh, I chose to be surrounded by everyone else who's worked in the service industry. So everyone's nice and respectful and just appreciates what you're doing. Is there anything you want to promote? Well, I mean, being that passion root is no longer a thing, um, I mean, support local art <laughs> and local food. There, That is the thing I'm going to miss the most about Nashville. You know, of course I'll be coming back, but there's so much happening right now that... Unless you live here, you kind of can't keep up. But there are so many, like, small businesses popping up. You know, everything from kombucha to, I mean, of course, like, I have a bias. I'm a vegan. So I, I want all these new vegan restaurants and these caterers and these, you know, Watch out for them. There's some people doing some unreal stuff in this town right now. And that's actually part of the reason why I picked New Orleans is because vegan food is even younger there than it is here. And I love being a part of Ground Zero. You know? Like, nobody knows what's happening. Cool. I work really good in chaos. You know? Let's do it. Do you want to talk about why you're a vegan? Um, sure. I mean, there... <laughs> I would say with... With anything... Like, I'm not a dogmatic person, but... With anything in your life that... 
you know, it's like, like, why do you clean your house every day? It's like, well, it's for health. And it's because this is how I treat myself and the living organisms around me the best. What do you think is your greatest challenge? I mean, greatest challenge is like recovering from childhood. You know, some people's childhoods aren't the tightest thing on the planet. And so, you know, it's just a challenge to overcome internal demons and recognizing that they don't go away but that they, you can manipulate them very, a lot, but it takes time and it takes practice and effort and awareness, you know. Thankfully, I can compartmentalize very well. So I can, I can lead most days with like the demons kind of like shoved in a corner, you know, but then there's some days where it's just like, you know, I mean, you wake up depressed. <laughs> That's about how that goes. Um, yeah, learning to love yourself. That's, that's perpetual life challenge. The greatest challenge of The all. greatest challenge of them all. It's a real thing. On that note, that's the end of this episode of Slash Server Life. I'd like to thank Carolyn for taking the time to speak with me and share at least part of our story. And now it's your turn, folks. So get off your phones, pause that bullshit conversation, and put down your fork long enough to peer into the not-so-secret world of service. Until next time.